Hey, hey, this is Kevin McCove, and you are tuned into the McCove Mindset Podcast. Today, our guest is a very dear friend of mine, Marina Kamen. She has worked with artists all over, including Patti LaBelle, James Earl Jones, Britney Spears. She's done a ton of advertising music, including music for Starburst, Pop-Tarts, Mercedes-Benz. I'm very excited to share her as a resource to you as she has been to me. Let's get to it. Hey, 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 how you doing? How are you, Kevin? I am fantastic. It is so good to hear from you. How's your life? My life is amazing. Now, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's pretty good. Um, I think this over like the last year and a half, so this last like two year span has been rather crazy. Um, it's been a very, very trying time. But, you know, fortunately, things are things are looking up now. So that's good. How, how old are you? Thirty. Oh, you're a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still in the youth group. <laughs> like, you're a baby. You're ba- I'm 61, honey. You're a baby. <laughs> yeah. So I feel, I feel like I'm like, oh, I hit the midlife crisis, but you know, a third of the way through. <laughs> no, 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 no. Are you kidding? You're just getting started. You're just getting started. So I uh, thank you so much for taking the call. When I reached out, I was like, oh, I hope that she still remembers me. Of course, of course. Awesome. So, what have you, what have you been up to? Uh, a lot. Uh, first of all, my son, my eldest son just got married last weekend. So Congratulations. Um, thank you, my 33-year-old, um, who strangely enough is the, when he was 80, he was on Broadway. He's now an attorney in capital markets. And so he's a, he's a big shot here in New York. That's awesome. And he made a very, they were in the New York Times, a big wedding. And uh, listen, my kids are, listen, my kids are 26, 28, and 33, Kevin. I'm married 37 years. So, um, Congratulations on that too, because that's rare. That's rare, and I've been doing a lot of stuff, and I've been, uh, oh my God, I've been doing a tremendous amount of commercial work, production work, my live show, and I've been coaching. Um, you know, I'm brought in to help teach parts to people that are going to Broadway, whatever. So I've been doing a lot of. I don't even want to call it teaching. It's more like artist development. A lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's probably what you're going to ask me, so I don't want to be redundant. It's probably some of the stuff you're going to ask me. Yeah, you know um, what? So then why don't we, um, if you don't mind, can, sure. why don't you just fill us in on on what it, who you are, what it is you do, and, okay. and how you kind of got started. Okay. Um, so uh, Marina came in born in 1959. I don't lie about my age ever. I love getting older. I think it's fabulous. Um, it That's gets better. fabulous. I promise. I, it gets better. If you keep your health together, you, you'll feel great. Um, positive attitude. I actually started in the business in 1962. I, I was with the American Ballet Theater, and I studied with the June Taylor dancers, and they were the home group for the Jackie Gleason show. And so my first foray into the entertainment business was at the age of three, dancing on the Jackie Gleason show. Uh, had no idea that I was going on television. I just thought I would... My memory is that I was being pushed into lights and um, just thought I was going into a dance class. I had no idea. And did tremendous amounts of work as a kid. Went to Manhattan School of Music Prep here in New York, uh, starting at the age of five, studying violin, piano, and then started voice at 10. So I was already a dancer. And then violin, piano, and voice came thereafter. Wow. Uh, very fortunate. Went to Interlochen Arts Academy, played with Van Cliburn. So as a young person, I was uh, predominantly a musician, singer, dancer, uh, and violin player, and choreographer, and dancer, and everything else. By the age of 19, received my 
equity card here in New York. That's the theatrical union. And I was in the original touring company of the original Grease, which was then on Broadway. Yeah, I was 19. And uh, started working and going to Manhattan School Music College. So I went to Manhattan School Music as a youngster on Saturdays, studying all those things, as well as then going to college and going back and forth because I was already a working actress here in New York. Um, In uh, Fast Forward, I met my husband in 1982. I was teaching at Body Designed by Gilda, which was the first aerobic studio ever in the country. It started in L.A. by Gilda Marks, who was married to a Marks brother. And there there was nothing called aerobics at that time. And many of us that were dancers and singers, and still to this day a lot do, we supplemented our income by waiting tables, of course, Mm -hmm. and teaching aerobics. And at that time, it was the era of flash dance. Uh, we literally had turntables and playing It's Raining Men and wore our little flexitards and our headbands. <laughs> oh, wow. And, um, and that's what I did to make money, to pay my rent. I cleaned apartments, I walked dogs, I taught aerobics. And in between gigs, I had to make a living. I had to pay my rent and lived with a thousand roommates, like everybody else. Right. And uh, really came up the hard way uh, when there was no computers. We literally had a picture and resume in hand. We had to buy a backstage magazine every Thursday to see what auditions were coming. And you actually had to put a quarter in a phone booth and make a phone call and set up an appointment or actually go to Actors' Equity and put your name on a board outside and wait around the block and sit on a curb and be number 432 to be seen. Um, I auditioned for a chorus line 11 times. And every time Michael Bennett and Marvin Hamlish looked at me, they said, Marina, there's no, there's no role for you, but go ahead and do your double pirouette on the right and the left. Thank you very much. So um, I've been in this my whole life. Um, when I met Roy, I made the transition. And Roy is your husband? Roy is my husband and yes. partner for Cayman Entertainment Group. Cayman Entertainment Group, we've been in existence since 1987. And we've owned recording studios all over New York. Uh, we've done 40,000 television and radio commercials Um, we've won 140 industry awards and Roy is actually responsible for creating Pro Tools digital recording he he actually hold on so your husband was on the team that created Pro Tools my husband's been a recording engineer since 1976 and in 1976 there was nothing called a computer or anything digital. We used to cut tape with something called a razor blade. And uh, my husband was on the ground floor with Digi Design that yeah. created Pro Tools. And uh, he did this in the late 70s, early 80s. He was on the ground floor. And he was the first to start using Pro Tools to actually record voices. And we were in the commercial field. I was in theater. And in those years, Kevin, there was no... There was nothing called multimedia. You were either in theater or you were in television or you were in commercials. There was no crossover. So if you were a singer like myself in musical theater, you could not get into a recording studio. It was two very different worlds. It's not like now where, where you have to do everything and everything crosses over. There was no opportunity for that unless you had a door open. And so when I met my husband on a blind date in 1982, um, He was a recording engineer, and he brought me into the world of recording commercials, and he taught me how to be a recording engineer. He taught me how to actually be to work the board, 
and I was just a young girl. I was 22. And uh, great singer, great dancer, great violinist, all that stuff. Composition major, but um, certainly knew nothing about the recording industry. And so it's a lot of years ago. It's 37 years ago. And he said, I'm going to teach you because it's going to make you a better artist. And I said, how so? He said, well, first of all, chew out, spit out the gum, take your jewelry off because you're rattling, and take the leather jacket off that you're wearing because it's making noise on my Neumann U87 microphone. <laughs> right, we're just picking up everything. Everything. And how was I supposed to know? I was a live artist. We didn't have microphones on stages in those years. There was no microphones. You sang and danced live, and you projected. And uh, it's a very different world. While I was there and I was learning how to be a recording person, I was teaching, still teaching, you know, and doing my thing and auditioning. And he asked me to marry him. And he said, I really would like you to not tour so much anymore. And to be honest about it, Kevin, I already had had a 20-year career because I'd been at it since I was a child. And I said, well, okay, I'll learn what you do. I'll learn the recording industry and commercials. And it's the smartest thing I could have done. Because what I did is I became a sales rep, mm. which was basically being an actress on the telephone and learning the business of the entertainment industry, which is what it's all it's about. That's so um, factual. It's, you know, really it shouldn't be called show business. It should be called the business of the show. And by working <laughs> yeah. in advertising, what people don't understand about advertising is that most celebrities, and we've worked with hundreds of them, they want to do voiceovers. They want to do commercials. Because we make more money in one day on a set than you can make in three months doing a movie in Africa with flies in your nose, um, having to wear makeup and sweating. Um, and you get something called residuals yeah. you know, in the mailbox. So my husband introduced me to that world. And what I did at that time, Kevin, is there was nothing called a, vo a vocal voiceover or singing casting director. There was just casting directors. And I had, as you can imagine, all my friends were entertainers. So here I was, a young girl in my early 20s, mm -hmm. and I'm in these big recording studios working for a place called Lasky Music, which we obviously we didn't own our own yet. We hadn't built up that clientele as of yet. Um, Roy had been doing it five years. I came in and I said, wait a minute, I have a way of making money here in addition to selling studio time and writing music. I'm going to start a casting division. And I did. Wow, and I that was, was so insightful, too. Well, it was a great way to make money. It was a great way to give my friends work. And it was a great way to bring producers from advertising agencies and television shows into the studios, therefore not only doing casting, but once they were there, they said, well, why don't we record the spot here? So that was an extra 3000 a day. Nice. So I was very young, and I was very fearless, and I had worked in my father's office since I was a child. I came from business people that were in the entertainment business but were producers, and my father was in insurance, and he represented theaters like the Schuberts and the Nederlanders and uh, Donald Trump at that time, quite frankly, I'm embarrassed to say, um, but he was in that, at that time period in the late 70s the world of business people in New York City merged with entertainment because that's where the money was. I mean, that's, you know, the, the business is about raising enough money 
to do your projects, you know, bit by bit, putting it together, as Stephen Sondheim said. Um, you know, it takes a little cocktail conversation to get the funds for your foundation. Mm. I wish I wrote that line. I didn't. Stephen Sondheim did. Um, but it's the truth. And I learned over the years the business of the entertainment business, and I merged it with my artistry. And then I was fortunate enough to, and blessed enough to meet this fantastic man. And in 1987, we, own, we opened Cayman Entertainment Group, and we've since produced 40,000 productions and had three incredible children with one marriage. And I've written 450 songs. I've been nominated for Grammys. I have 140 industry awards. And I've cast, choreographed, directed, sing, act, do it all. Yeah, you do everything. You really do. I remember when I first when I first was introduced to you uh, through Ryan, Ryan Knock, um, I was just like blown away by how many different things you were capable of doing. But but in a way that's like that's very different from what I'm familiar with. And what I'm familiar with is just being around a lot of gifted and talented individuals who have no utility for the ability that they have. Um, and right. you have really figured that out, like, you know, just over your long career, just ha- figuring out how to become an artist in each different area and yes. how to utilize all the different skills that you do have. Yes. A big area of my life was that when I was young, um, I, I've always struggled with a weight problem terribly, like a lot of young girls do. And I didn't look like the other little girls. I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm you know, three quarters Jewish and the other quarter we're not quite sure um I, i'm not i'm not sure i'm real i'm serious i mean i'm like i'm like a quarter black so it's like you know it's like i'm like this mutt person like who who knows what i am but i'm a new yorker we're all mutts that's how we are um and uh i didn't look like the other little girls i was a little thick in the thighs my hair was kinky and uh so i had an inner um uh feeling of not being good enough mm. and as i got older i had a terrible weight problem and I turned that weight problem, as many of us did in the 70s, into the terrible problem of bulimia, uh, being anorexic, teaching aerobics, being a dancer, having to be very thin. With the birth of each child and opening came an entertainment group and now having my own company behind the scenes as a singer, director, casting person, I didn't have to be skinny anymore. I had children. I had a a company that was billing 100000 a month in Times Square, New York, with 11,000 square feet, 40 employees. I mean, I was only in my early 30s, and I started it at 28. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And, I, and it was intense. But what I did in my late 30s is I decided that I wanted to start, I wanted to open my own record company, Kevin. And in those years, they didn't have what they have now where you have to do your own brand. I got a lot of pushback. People called me a vanity label, and now it's all do-it-yourself records, but at that time, it wasn't. It was considered very narcissistic, and people didn't understand that. Hey, man, who are you to tell me not to push my own thing? I'm making a lot of money. I have a lot of employees. I work like a dog. I'm a mother. I'm putting kids through private school, and it was about 1997, and I had ballooned up to 215 pounds, and I was five foot three. And I was called by QVC to write the music for fitness products because a lot of dance music that I was starting to write 
which were being known and were in the clubs under various artist names and project names, as you well know. They were being called like La Bouche, La Clique. These were nameless, faceless people that nobody knew who they were. And I worked with a lot of these people. And I was approached by the fitness industry to write music because it's all four on the floor. It's just disco to me, right. man. It's just dance yeah. music, you know? I come from Studio 54 and Xenon, you know? I come from the day, man, from the Mud Club and all right, that. that club scene, yeah. Are you kidding? I was in 1977. I was 18. So, you know, you can take it wherever you want to take it. Um, <laughs> you was out I, here. <laughs> I was going from CBGB's to Studio 54 and back again. I danced on the floor with a shot Saturday Night Fever on that floor that lit up with John Travolta. I literally was there. There was a club called 2001 in Brooklyn, and I was there. So um, been there, done that. So anyway, at the age of 38, 37, I decided, I'm, oh, my God, I'm being approached to perform live again. They wanted me to go and tour with these fitness shows, doing my music. I was writing for fitness companies. So I lost 100 pounds when I was 37. Wow. And because of that, I started to get 100? hired. 100 pounds. Congratulations and I started, for that. Thank you. I started to get hired by major, major companies like QVC, uh, Gaim, which is one of the biggest yoga companies, and go on tour. And I've been all over television uh, working on the biggest products as a casting director, fitness director, writing the music for the videos, um, directing them, where we literally, when you watch an infomercial, uh, people on infomercials are real people, but they're predominantly wannabe actors. Who else would put on a sports bra heavy and allow themselves to be photographed and I've hired, and I've been hired for years now, to come in, hire the actors, ages 19 to 80, men, women, every ethnicity, every demographic, and um, get the weight off them in 90 days. And wow. it is show business. It is a matter of me putting them in a dance studio for 90 days, sweating them to all my songs, and every song I have ever written, Kevin, has been a song that helped motivate myself to stay healthy. Everything from every yoga piece, violin piece, from opera to hip hop to dance at 162 beats per minute to 80 beats per minute. I don't care if it's R&B, whatever it is. So when you listen to my lyrics, they're all motivational lyrics. Right. They're not offensive. Yeah, it's no, I know family. that that's your vibe too because I mean that's how we really connected. Um yeah. you were doing a fi one of the fitness things, so like a fitness yeah. kind of class and um, that was a song that I had written. This is years ago, maybe like seven or eight years ago. It was called Get Up. And yeah, you threw it on for like a fitness routine like workout. It was that was crazy. It's great. I, it's really nice too, though. Like even hearing you say that, say that, and and it registering that thought in my mind. Just the consistency in like your message and and your purpose. You know, like that's a beautiful thing too. Yeah, I mean, listen, I am a human being. I go up. I don't claim ever to be a fitness model. I go up and down twenty five pounds like every other woman, and especially once you hit sixty, honey, gravity takes over. All hell breaks loose. I grab everything's hanging. I say let it fall. I like my wrinkles. <laughs> let it I go, right? It. I let it go, baby. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I don't want that look with the forehead that doesn't move. I, I mean, those that love it, good, good for you. If you love it, good for you. Do what makes you happy. But for me as an entertainer, I'm, I'm enjoying the process of getting older. I mm. love to perform. I do my High Energy Live show in New York, which is an interactive musical that I wrote where there are no seats, where people come and they actually stand and work out 
to a full musical that I've written. And someone can, and like, sign up for this class currently, like, right now? It's not a class. It's an off-Broadway show. Off-Broadway it's show. It's an experience. It's a musical. Like, Word. Oklahoma is a musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in yeah, Oklahoma in high school. Well, it's a musical. It's Word. a full-blown musical with a book and characters. And all the characters are based on my life and my experiences. And I've been doing it for years here in New York. And I do it, um, you know, I do short runs, but people walk in the theater. There are seats for those that want to sit. And then there's a big open dance floor. And there's karaoke on a screen where you sing along with my songs. And you actually walk and run in place and do the workout while you're watching the show. So you're getting a workout while you're being entertained. entertained. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So I've been doing that on and off. And I've also been doing a tremendous amount of artist development. I have um, about four different young people right now that are in Broadway shows. Um, one young lady that I've worked with just got the role of Lydia in Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, she's 20 years old. I work with many, many people that are going to Broadway or going into some kind of musical project where I'm brought in to work with them. I just worked with Britney Spears a couple of years back because they brought me in from Hasbro Toys. They wanted to do a thousand kids doing a dance concert for a commercial. Wow. Britney. And it was for Twister Dance Rave. It's just a little toy. But they wanted a dance concert. So they brought me in to direct it and cast it and <laughs> do everything for it. Um, because of my merger of choreography, dance music, fitness, and being a mom, and being able to organize a thousand young kids ages 13 to 17 in a one-day shoot and control them long enough in front of a 50-person camera crew, um, and in order to do that, Kevin, I get into the marina garb with the wigs, with the costumes, with the headset at Webster Hall in front of a thousand people because trying to shoot a 30-second commercial with scenes with a bunch of young kids is not an easy feat. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it is not an easy feat. And you have to be extremely experienced and you can't just be one thing. Um, I always advise everybody in this industry because I keep going. I don't, I don't, people say, when are you going to retire? I say, why should I retire? Right. You what love what you do. do? What? I love what I do and I love performing and I perform all the time, but I must tell you, and not everybody feels this way that are my age, especially, you know, they, they don't, a lot of them don't want to do it. You know, they don't want to produce somebody else. And Madonna doesn't want to do it. I love putting what I have learned as an artist, as a businesswoman, as a mother, as a wife, as a mature woman, and watching a young person, and I don't mean just a nine-year-old. I mean a 22-year-old, a 25-year-old, a 30-year-old. I have a 63-year-old woman that went back to the business after leaving it for 40 years to be a lawyer. Wow. And I am an artist developer, and I cannot tell you what it feels like to put all of my knowledge on somebody else and watch them like clay mold them. I, I, I cannot tell you the high I get from that. That's so beautiful. It, and how, how did you even get into that? Like, well, Or if someone is like, let's say someone listens to this podcast and they say, wow, yeah. I really am inspired by this wonderful woman. How would I get in contact with her to, to send her something or to learn more from her? Is that, is that a thing? You can go to www.marinacayman.com and you can contact me and it'll say artist development. I own studios all over New York and I've been actually, Kevin, doing this really for many, many years. I have always 
since I'm a youngster, since I was young, 19, I gave voice lessons. I gave piano lessons. I gave violin lessons. I've been a casting director. I've been a director. Really, what is a director? A director is a teacher. Right. A director is a teacher. You have to be the best teacher. You must do it quickly. Now you're working with professionals, and I work with both professionals and non-professionals. I have them as young as five years old, like oh, wow. I was. And I have many of them that are professionals at five. They're all over television. But they have to be cooperative. They have to be great students because they must rematriculate back into school. Let's say they've been on a set for three months, right? Or in a show Mm -hmm. on Broadway that closes. They have to go back to school. So they must be on the set or in the show, and they have to do school at the same time. So I deal with young people and artists to help them in every area. I have artists that have had big Broadway careers, and the nature of our industry, Kevin, is that sometimes you'll work for four years, like boom, 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 and then you'll go two years where the phone doesn't ring. Right. And it has a lot to do with your mental health. <laughs> Say it health. louder for the people in the back. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I totally know this. I, I have tasted this. Well, everybody has. I mean, then that's show business. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people do go cuckoo loco. Most of the people like myself that have had gigantic careers and family and been fortunate enough to have the staying power, because you have to have, you have to be able to say to yourself, look, I'm an artist, but I'm more than an artist. I'm Mm. a human being. I'm intelligent. I can do it. I have to stretch. I have to learn production. I have to learn every aspect of this industry. I have to learn the business first. Because if you don't have that, you will drown. Because the minute you go a year or two and nothing happens, you've got to ride the wave. You've got to ride the wave. You've got to hold on to that surfboard. Because it'll come back. You know? Right. Even in paradise, there are storms. So being able to ride the wave emotionally and to know as much as you can, both what I call in front of the glass, and behind. Behind, yeah. I, front stage, backstage. Yeah. Everything. I have been on Shop NBC at one in the morning with a live microphone jumping up and down on a piece of fitness equipment, singing at the top of my lungs at 57 years old, and then directing the next day, flying back to New York and directing the next day. So you have to be able to keep your health together because you're mm-hmm. flying all the time. You have to be able to know how to work on camera, in front of the camera, live, banter, read a teleprompter, and you also have to be able to learn how to be a director and be behind the camera as well. All of it. All of it. Everything. And I enjoy all of it. And so, therefore, very often an artist can get hung up on saying, well, I'm an artist. Well, really, what does that mean? That's nice. Right. If, you're doing your art, if you're doing your art and nobody sees it, yeah. and you don't do the other aspects of it and enjoy the other aspects, then you're not going to be a great artist. I I recently read, um, I finished reading a book called Lynchpin. It's by Seth God, uh, Godin. And in within there, he talks a lot about artistry. Um, and he defined being an artist as just being an agent of change. And I thought that oh, yeah. was like so profound because like, yeah, you can be an artist in so many different aspects of life, you know, whether that's as a parent or as a friend or as a salesperson or as, you know, like it doesn't have to be, you know, singing and dancing, and even though that's included, you know, but as long as you are creating change. You know, so I mean, Kevin, most people like myself, my husband, and everybody in my life always says this. They say, Maureen is a star in her kitchen. 
She's a star in her art directing in her country house, in her homes, with her children, with her artistry, with her business skills. Most of us that are talented people are talented in an, in every aspect of their lives, mm. not just in one area. If you are truly a talent, and if you have taken the time with patience to train yourself in all these areas, because you can have it all, but not all at one time. And you have to be patient. And you have to know that with, with your age, you must be willing to change and go with the flow and learn as much as you can as a human being. You have to take the time also to sometimes just walk in the park or go to a movie because you need to refuel yourself right. as an artist. It can't just be, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, why isn't anybody calling? Well, nobody's calling. Sometimes it's just not meant to be right now. That's okay. Right, so yeah, what? and you can relax a little bit, enjoy life, stop and smell the roses. Yes, and sometimes when you push too hard, it's. I always describe it like this. If you go to the beach and you pick up sand and you take one handful of sand and you squeeze it, it's going to go right through your fingers. But if you take the other handful of sand and you let it just sit there in the palm of your hand, it's just going to sit there and beautifully just kind of warmly sit there. If you push too hard sometimes, you can really mess it up for yourself. Right, you're losing, you're losing the thing that you tried so hard to grab for. What you did for love, like they said in the chorus line. Yeah. You've got to remember what, why you did this. You did it because you loved it. But you have to have the maturity, the staying power, and the patience to know that your career might not look like what you fantasized it would look like as a child. It might come to you in different forms, in different stages of life. That is, that is such a beautiful thing. It's, it's so funny that you even say that. So I, I had a, a revelation recently. So that, what you just described uh, so eloquently is something that I have just accepted recently. Um, and I would say like within the last year or so, and the, an analogy that makes it work together for me is because it wasn't just in my career, right? It's in all aspects of my life, uh, since I was a child, I think I've always had a very like fixed idea of what something was supposed to look like in my mind. And when it did not look like that, I wasn't satisfied. Um, <laughs> and, and so I equate it to like, if you ever, you know, you go to like a soda machine and you mm -hmm. put in two quarters. Let's say it's 50 cents. You put in two quarters, and they don't have the soda that you want. And so you don't want to pick another one, so you're just like, all right, whatever. They don't have Dr. Pepper. I'm going to press this button, and it's going to give me my change back. And I used mm -hmm. to be seriously irritated if I pressed the button, <laughs> and it gave me back, like, five dimes. You know, because it, it doesn't always return the change the way that you put it in. No. And that used doesn't. to bug me so much. But at the end of the day, I still got 50 cents back. You know, it just oh, didn't yeah. look the same. And, and so now I've learned to be like, you know, oh, okay, you know, it doesn't matter if the way that I thought it was going to come out is the and same it, way that I thought, you know, it's, it's still the same thing. It's just a different manifestation or a different iteration. Absolutely. And different timing. And look, listen. There are so many people. Nobody has it easy, Kevin. It might look like they do. It might look like somebody has the world. Everybody, we all bleed. Everybody has problems. We all wake up with stomach aches or with a cold. Um, we're all the same. And people have problems. And people have problems that we know nothing about. And their life, a star might look like they have it all. And I will tell you, 
and I have worked with everybody there is, from James Earl Jones to Patti LaBelle to Gloria Gaynor to Cindy Lauper to you name a celebrity, I've worked with them. And I will tell you, I've worked with Liza Minnelli, everybody. And everybody has something that's an issue. Either they wanted a family and couldn't have them. I know many very famous women that have fabulous careers, big stars, that couldn't get pregnant. They couldn't have children. And really all they wanted was to be a mom. I worked with Brittany and really, you know, people she said to me one day, she said, Marina, you know, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. Can I sit down now? Have I made enough people rich? I really just want to be with my kids. Right. I just want to be home. And so, you know, and, and don't listen out there, everybody. Don't listen to all this, this nonsense about Brittany. You know, there's something called public relations, PR. Brittany is a soft-spoken, sweet, hardworking young girl that won Star Search when she was only 10 years old. And she has made hundreds of people, if not thousands, very wealthy with her brand of Britney Spears. Mm -hmm. So when you get to that point, you can't even get off the merry-go-round because too many people's lives are at stake if you stop. They lose their jobs. Right. Because you are a business. It's like Coca-Cola. And people don't realize that. And it's too easy to diss somebody. That All that shaving the head with the lollipop. She had a new album coming out. They had to do something because there's really nothing wrong with this girl. She's, she's, she's a lovely young woman. She's not that young anymore. She's in her 30s. We've watched her grow up in public. And um, she's a plain, nice mom who's a hardworking woman. That's what this is. And it's no joke. When you tour, when, a, when a, an artist tours, and I've, I've toured with many, um, you don't realize that you get on an airplane and you might fly to France. So Europe is, let's say, six hours ahead of us, let's say, right? I'm mm -hmm. um, on the East Coast. You go to the venue directly. There's no hotel. After that concert, you get back on the plane, and now you fly maybe to L.A. So now you're three hours back, and you go right to the venue. We haven't seen a hotel yet. No hotel. Now you've done two shows. Now you get back on the plane, you go to New York. Now you do a third show. You haven't, you haven't slept yet. It's 36 hours you've done three shows. With no sleep. With no sleep and no, and no hotel and no shower. Right. And that is the nature of touring. Right, that's the and nature it, of the beast, yeah. And there is an old Michael Jackson clip where you see him being interviewed. It's a very rare one. It's very fascinating with all the interviews that were done, where there's very young interviewer is saying, so tell me do you, about touring, Michael. And he says, I go through hell when I tour. And they said, please, Mr. Jackson, could you say something positive? And they do a new take, and he slaps <laughs> a smile on, and he says, I love touring. And he bursts out laughing, and he takes the mic off, not in a mean way, in a very cute, sweet way. And basically, yes. This, this man went through hell. I mean, this, this man, why did he wear the mask, Kevin? He, you're a singer. He wore the mask because he was in a crowd. He didn't want to get sick and lose his voice. Right. It was for hygiene. And this is, yeah, and it's the slightest thing. The slightest things. Yeah, yeah. people thought this plastic <laughs> surgery wasn't plastic. Why did he wear the glove? Because at the end of the line from shaking a thousand hands, he took the glove off and threw it out. So he wouldn't have the germs on his hands. That's why people, oh, he pulled his pants up so he wouldn't fall and put glitter socks on so the lights would catch the, the glitter and you could see his footwork. 
There's, he never wore anything metallic, ever. It looked like he did, but metallic makes noise with a microphone. Mm. So everything he was wearing was cloth, everything. That's everything, crazy. Yeah, when you really stop to think of like how much really goes into it, how many layers there are, and and the only layer, you know, as a as a consumer, um, yeah, you know, you're only worried about the consumption part. You know, it's not right. about how it's manufactured. You know, and I, and I hate to say it like that, but you know, it's not about how it's produced. It's more about like, well, how is it consumed? Right. And then if you just you need more, and you need more and more and more because the consumption rates continue to increase. And then what happens to a lot of artists who have had, you know, there's a big difference between being, and I feel very fortunate because there's a movie, you might have seen it, um, and I have a lot of friends in it that were very famous background singers. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's called 20 Feet from Stardom. It won the Academy Award for Best Documentary a few years back. And a lot of my friends are in it, Cindy Mizell and Janice Pendarvis, a lot of very well-known background singers from the 80s and the 90s. And they, they've sung with everybody from Annie Lennox and Sting and everybody else, and uh, as we all have. And they describe it very well on camera, which is you don't want that kind of celebrity because that kind of celebrity has nothing to do with the performance. It has to do with the demands after, after the performance. Your work starts when you get off that stage because backstage is something called the press. Mm. And you better be conscientious. You better be generous. You better be available. And you got another three hours in front of you of signing autographs and of speaking and being interviewed. And it is exhausting. Right. None of that is the creation. None of that is the the, the creation of the art, the expression of the art. That Yeah. It's the marketing. It's the business. Yeah. And it comes back to commercials. How do we know? For example, when you watch commercials, I want you to watch commercials and count how many celebrities you see. They do the commercials, like I said, because they make more money in a day than they can three months on a set or by selling a million records. They make more money in residuals. Now, commercials is what sells an album. There are 40,000 new songs a day being put up on Spotify daily. Daily. Because of the technology. Yeah. Because you can do it yourself. However... How do I know about your record? You still have to have the millions of dollars behind you to buy the commercial time, to be in the magazines, to buy the press. Press doesn't just happen. You got to pay for that. You got to pay for that. And you have to have the millions of dollars behind you to sell your product. It's just a widget. It's the same thing as selling a pen or selling a Coke. It's the same thing. Right. It's no different. It's just a business. Oh, it is. And the music placement game has really, like, expanded so much. Like, I, I suppose since you were in it so early, ha- mm-hmm. have you noticed, is it, do you think that it's harder now because it's becoming more saturated, or? There is no, there is no music business. I will tell you that in the year 2001, 300 people in one day closed Atlantic Records. It shut down in one day. Um, in 1998, my husband was at the Chicago DJ music conference in Chicago. And he was there with every record label in the world. And he had developed Pro Tools and streaming was starting. And my music, oddly enough, and Mariah Carey, we were the first two streaming artists to go on the internet to be digitally distributed. And it's because my husband was involved on the ground floor. And he raised his hand at this conference and he said, 
we're in trouble, guys. The record industry is going to close. And they all laughed at him. And sure enough, you can't make money in the music business anymore unless you're a brand where you sell tickets and you sell merchandise that your, mo- that your name can go on perfume bottles, T-shirts, clothes. That's where the money is. And that's why it's so hard. It's almost impossible for a new artist to make a living in the music business because music is free. Right. There's too much content. Yeah, and that's why so you see that's why you see an artist like, you know, poor Mariah. I mean I'm not gonna say poor Mariah because she does it to herself. However, you know, Mariah who can barely sing anymore and who has had, you know, crazy behavior on stage they don't get rid of her so fast because she's such a brand and such a name and there's so many people making money off her that they'll reinvent her and keep it going because she makes money. She makes money. But a young artist who, who's 18 who might be absolutely brilliant doesn't stand a chance. And I will share this with you too. Nothing happens by going viral overnight. It's always the other way around. It's always a company like Disney or ABC, which is owned by Disney, by the way, right. um, or some very large company that will put a music video together and say that that young person went viral overnight. Because I dare you and I challenge you right now, if I ran across the street naked in, in New York City, screaming um la da at the top of my lungs, in a hot pink jacket, naked underneath, and somebody videoed it, I would need 400 people on the Internet typing frantically to make it go viral. Things don't just go viral. Things go viral because there's a company that's trying to sell something. It's called brand marketing. It's never the other way around. Yeah, actually, um, the whole, like, like when Black Beatles, that was so, uh, Ray Remmerd, there was a song called Black Beatles that blew up. Um, and there was a thing called the um, Mannequin Challenge that mm. went viral. And then after doing some research on it, it was kind of like, oh, that went viral because there was a company that, right. yeah, that helped make it go viral. Actually, um, I was reading that Madonna has a company um, that specializes in making things go viral. Uh, another thing, there was a big dance craze. It's called like the Whip and the Nay Nay, um, yeah, and that company was responsible for getting that to take off and go viral. Um, yeah, so it's it's really kind of crazy the the effort that goes behind getting this stuff out. And you're right. Yeah, you kind of do need you do need the dollars. Um, you kind it's not kind of need the dollars. You need them. You need yeah, the dollars. you need them. And if you look at any artist, any artist that's out there, and you do research on them, you'll see who their daddy was, who their daddy's daddy was. I'll give you an example. Nora Ephron wrote some classic movies called Harry Met Sally, You've Got Mail, big screenplay writer. Her parents wrote the screenplay to the movie Carousel from the 60s, from the 50s. How is Liza Minnelli there? Her mother was Judy Garland. Her father was Vincent Minnelli. Who is Gwyneth Paltrow's mother? Her mother's Blythe Danner. There are, who, who is Miley Cyrus's father? Billy Ray Cyrus. He wrote a little song called Boot, Scoot, and Boogie. I mean, every, who is, how did um, Simon Cowell get on? His father was the head of EMI Publishing. Yeah. People don't just walk in the door. Even myself, look, I, my parents were heavily involved in the theater business in New York. My mother's best friend 
was a woman, her name was Estelle Gettleman. You know her as Estelle Getty, the old lady in Golden Girls. She didn't have oh, her wow. first hit. She starved until she was 60 years old. 60. 60. And she landed that role. She had little bits here and there, starved, lived in a two-bedroom apartment in Queens, raised two boys in a two-bedroom apartment, could barely make a living, and at 60, finally had that show, had been at it her whole life. That's how it works. Right. It's a hustle. That's how it works. So what uh, it's a hustle. What advice do you have to anyone who, who just listened even to that segment who feels like, oh, wow, well then how do I get in? What advice do you have to just anyone, you know, out here that still wants, wants to get after it? Um, My I, advice is, number one, surround yourself with the greatest people working. I was very fortunate when I was young, Kevin, because me, my parents were in it. So I studied with the greats of the greats of the time. I mean, I studied with Albert Haig. You might know him from the old movie Fame. He was the gray-haired professor. But Albert Haig also wrote A Million Musicals. He wrote the original Grin The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, which is a Christmas movie that everybody has seen the cartoon to. Um, very famous. I, I studied with every famous teacher there was to study with in New York. So number one, get the best training you can. Number two, learn your business skills. If you're a young person in high school and you need to intern or you're going to college, intern in an office. It doesn't matter what the office is. Learn how to answer a telephone, how to send an email, how to make sure that you know how to do some programming, how to design a website, how to do, not be afraid to pick up a telephone, how to not be rejected. Learn business because you're singing, you're dancing, your music part. That's the love. And who cares? Everybody's talented. There's millions of talented people. Millions. Learn your business and learn everything that surrounds your art form from the technical aspect as well. And keep your head on straight. Get rid of toxic people around you. Mm. Get rid of drug addicts around you. Watch the alcohol, which is the worst drug of all, as far as I'm concerned, because it's the most accessible. And keep your head on straight when times are tough. And when you feel your career is not doing well, turn to those in your life that are cheerleaders. Get rid of the haters. Get rid of them immediately. Thin the herd. Thin the herd. Get rid of them. Because you need, we as artists are so vulnerable and we are so insecure anyway that you don't need more of that around you. You don't need that around you. That is not a friend, not even a family member. Because very often family members can be haters too. You know, it's not just friends. I think that, yeah, that can be the worst almost because they have the greatest influence over you. Absolutely. you got to keep your head on straight. Always know that sometimes spiritually, if whatever you believe in, God, whatever you're into, you know, whatever spirits that you believe in or, or nothing, or the clouds, maybe, maybe you worship you know, the top of a building. I don't know, whatever it is you worship. I'm into it all. So um, just always know that there is a reason for something, that failure is the biggest teacher. Failure is the biggest teacher. Yes. Because you learn what not to do or what doesn't work. Don't look at it as failure. Look at it as a learning tool and that that path was not supposed to be for you. There was enough. There's another path waiting for you. That is that that right there is the greatest way to close this out. I like thank you so much, A, for taking the time out 
to to talk. I know that you had a busy day and you know you took the time out. I really really appreciate you taking the time out uh, you, to sit and talk with me. I really really do. Um, thank you, and, and thanks for remembering me. Really, really like A, thanks for remembering me. B, thanks for supporting me in honestly the earliest stages of, of my career, um, which fortunately I was able to continue to go on and do uh, other incredible things. And you're absolutely right. Surrounding yourself with great people and getting the support and endorsement of fantastic people like yourself. Um, it means it means the world, but not just like for the career. I mean, just like me talk, talking to you like I, I do appreciate it thank you and you always remember that and remember from a 61 year old woman pay it forward Kevin because yes, if you just take and you take from people that ain't it that's not the quan you want to pay it forward because if you keep paying it forward trust me it'll come it'll back come to back you back. tenfold yes ma'am thank you oh so much and I will be with in touch pleasure. with you okay with pleasure you take care alright be well Bye-bye. bye 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 That wraps up another episode of the McCove Mindset Podcast. If you appreciated any of the information in the discussion today, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Every bit of support is appreciated. And I want to continue to bring you content that will enhance your career, your life, and your overall mindset. So again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.